Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 21, Lehi's Dream, The People. Hi, friends. So I've been curious this week, how many of you are taking each challenge that I give you each week seriously? And if you are, how many of you are noticing that if you set an intention, that circumstances manifest themselves to give you the practice that you need in order to be able to to develop the attribute or to perfect the principle that we're working on? I have noticed that, and I'm calling them my perfect learning lessons from my Heavenly Father. I could choose to say that it's from the adversary who's trying to get me down, but no, I really do believe Heavenly Father is like, yay, you want to step up? Here's an opportunity, and he hands me the perfect learning lesson to show what I'm made of. (laughs) So I hope you last week had an opportunity to give mercy and to be able to receive mercy. And I'm sure if it was anything like mine, that it was a learning opportunity. Remember last week we left Lehi at the tree. He had just partaken of the fruit and he began to look around and he noticed that there was a rod of iron which extended along the bank of a river. And this rod of iron led directly to the tree. Nephi would later learn that the rod of iron represented the word of God, and he assured his brethren that those who hearkened to the word of God, who held fast unto it, would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness to lead them away to destruction. Also, with the added knowledge that Nephi gave us from his vision, the angel clarified that the river that Lehi saw was actually the fountain of filthy water, and its depths represented the depths of hell. In contrast to the river, also along the rod of iron, was a straight and narrow path. And this path, coupled with the guidance of the iron rod, or as we've learned, the word of God, led its questers to the tree of life. And isn't that interesting? How closely Satan has brought the depths of hell to the straight and narrow path or the truths that God gives us that we must follow and that for us to step away leaves us vulnerable and leaves us on unsure footing and unexpected depths and entrapments. And I love this little illustration, this little tidbit of information that we get that the adversary is real and he is scooted right up to the straight and narrow path, waiting for us to step off of it. But though the path was straight and its destination assured, it wasn't without its challenges. For Lehi observed that a mist of darkness would arise and surround the inhabitants of the path. And Nephi was told by the angel that the mist of darkness are the temptations of the devil, which blindeth the eyes and hardeneth the hearts of the children of men and leadeth them away into broad roads that they perish and are lost. I marvel at this dream of Lehi's. 
the dream that we refer to as the tree of life dream. Because it shows how well God knows his children. That he is able to generalize the billions, I don't even know how many children that have walked this earth. That he is able to generalize us and simplify our actions that we choose to take. Because on a day-to-day basis, we tend to think that our choices are really complicated. Because we're so zoomed into the situation. But if you zoom way out and view us from our Heavenly Father's perspective, we see that it truly isn't. That everything has a purpose. And every action that we take either leads us towards our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and their love, or it moves us away and leaves us susceptible to the adversary. How well God knows his plan and how confident he is in the solidity of it and how aware of the intricacies that he has. And I am amazed how he is able to bring all of that in a simplified dream to show the prophet of God and us. Now in Lehi's dream, he observed numberless concourses of people and he witnessed four different groups that represented the general direction that the children of God choose to take in this life. Lehi noted that many of the people pressed their way forward desiring to obtain the path which led unto the tree. And the first group did just this. They made their way onto the path and they began their journey. But then the exceedingly great mist of darkness arose and the people lost their way and they wandered off and were lost. How tragic. But then there's a second group of people that he sees and they too press forward. But this group is different. They caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. You see the difference between them and group number one, they had the word of God available in their lives and they caught on to it and once again the mist of darkness arose and as it did so the second group of people they clung onto the rod of iron until they came forth and partook of the fruit of the tree yay but wait curiously after partaking of the fruit the people began to cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. Why is that? Remember, this is the fruit, the fruit of the tree of life, the fruit of the tree that represents the love of God, that this fruit was sweet above all other fruit that had been tasted, and that it was white to exceed all whiteness, and it had the ability to fill one's soul with exceedingly great joy, and it was precious above all other fruit. So why then, after partaking of the fruit, were the people in the second group ashamed? So Lehi saw on the other side of the river a great and spacious building, and it stood as if it were in the air high above the earth, and it was filled with people both old and young, both male and female, and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine, and they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing fingers towards those who had come and were partaking of the fruit. And so the people in the second group, they were ashamed because of the people who were scoffing at them. And then what happened? They fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. The third group of people 
also made their way onto the path. And they too caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron, until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. Now the last group, the fourth group, Lehi witnessed that other multitudes felt their way towards that great and spacious building. That was their destination that they were drawn to. And as they did so, many were drowned in the depths of the fountain. And many were lost from Lehi's view because they began wandering onto strange roads. And he testified that great was the number entering the great and spacious building. And when they did, they too began pointing their fingers of scorn at Lehi and also at those partaking of the fruit. In this episode today, I want to focus on groups two and three. Why? Because they partook of the fruit. They partook of the fruit from the tree that represented the love of God. They had been nourished by this fruit, but yet had different outcomes. So if we're to accept the rod of iron is the word of God, which leads us down a path leading to the tree of life, and we've learned that it represents the love of God, which the angel showed Nephi is illustrated by having us understand what the condescension of God and of Jesus Christ was, which is specifically his mercy and his atonement. Then the fruit would be representative of the ordinances and the covenants that we make with God. So both groups were covenant makers. So if all of this is true, then why did both groups partake of the fruit, but only one of the groups remained at the tree? Take note, group two caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. They had the word of God in their lives. And when the mist of darkness arose, they didn't let go. And there's an interesting word used to describe their behavior, though. Nephi records that this group did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron. So Elder Bednar, in an Ensign article titled Lehi's Dream, which came out in October 2011, had this to say about group two. He said, It is significant that the second group pressed forward with faith and commitment. They also had the added blessing of the rod of iron, and they were clinging to it. However, as they were confronted with persecution and adversity, they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. Even with faith, commitment, and the word of God, this group eventually was lost. Perhaps because they only periodically read or studied or searched the scriptures, Clinging to the rod of iron suggests to me only occasional bursts of study or irregular dipping rather than consistent ongoing immersion in the word of God, end quote. Now, something that I want to clarify before we go any further, there's some people who mistakenly mix up the verb that describes this group. They'll say that the group cleaved to the rod, and that's not true. That's what we're told to do when we marry someone, that we're to cleave to one another and become one. And that's not the verb. The verb used is cling. And what image does the word clinging conjure up for you? 
Think of how we use that word or how you've heard it used. Does it portray confidence and security, assuredness? We use it in ways such as she was clinging to the ledge, a cat clung to the branch, or she clung to his arm for support. And though in each of these examples, support has been sought after and held onto, it's been done in an act of fear or lacking confidence and strength to independently depend on its supporter. Now, while fully and absolutely accepting Elder Bednar's teaching of the principle of fully immersing ourselves in the scriptures and not just dabbling in them, I see something a little different about group two. Something that makes me, as someone who is trying her best to be in the scriptures on a regular basis, be very aware that I could be a part of group two if I'm not careful. Because I see a very familiar and old enemy of ours on display in this dream. This enemy is the antithesis to love, and it is an infection that prevents us from being able to feel God's love. And we are warned that before the second coming occurs, men's hearts will fail them because of it. But perfect love can cast it out. And from Lehi's dream, we see that it can overpower the faithful and prevent them from truly experiencing the exceedingly great joy that the fruit can bring them and fill them with, all because they are distracted by the pride of the world, by that great and spacious building, and they become blinded and then fall away into forbidden paths and become lost. And that is important to note as well, forbidden. That's not used to describe the paths for the other groups. We hear strange paths or wandering off or just making their way over to the great and spacious building. The paths become forbidden paths to those who have partaken of the fruit, who have made covenants, so other roads would then become forbidden. So this enemy that we're all susceptible to, that I believe is one of our biggest stumbling blocks and challenges that we must overcome in order to be able to fully enjoy what the fruit of the tree of life has to offer us, is fear. When we experience fear and act according to its dictates, we have difficulty being able to feel love and be inspired to act in a loving way. There is an executive coach. Her name is Kim Giles. And if you live in Utah, you may be familiar with her column. Every Monday morning, she posts a column on KSL and she addresses fear. And her belief is that, is that about 80% of our negative behaviors or the, those behaviors that are working against what we truly desire and want and make life hard is because we're acting out of fear. And she has written a book called Choosing Clarity. I highly recommend it, especially if you feel that fear is governing your choices and having a little too much control over you. I recommend this book, Choosing Clarity. It has opened my eyes to understand myself and have compassion and mercy on myself and course correct when I'm not being my best self. 
And it has also helped me to be able to see people who are not being their best selves in a certain moment, to be able to have compassion on them and see how they might be acting out of fear. It helps me to have a better understanding of how to move forward in that circumstance. Also, understanding fear helps me realize I too could be a part of group two if I'm not careful. And I don't want to be a part of group two. I want to be a part of group three. I want to overcome my fear. I want to be able to feel God's love and be filled with joy and ignore those people in the great and spacious building that their mocking won't affect me. So here's what Kim Giles teaches. She teaches that we have basically two deep core fears. The first core fear is the fear of not being good enough. And when we're feeling like we're not good enough, those are feelings of feeling inadequate, when we feel deficient, or when we're not feeling as good as other people are. And this grows and becomes a fear of failure, or a fear of looking bad, or a fear of judgment from others, or a fear of rejection, and a fear of being abandoned, or a fear of being unworthy of love. Think for a moment, when you're feeling a fear of not being good enough, think of those behaviors and thoughts and feelings that happen to you, that you're swarmed with. And how it paralyzes you and stops you from being able to be your best self and make your best decision in that moment. So how does fear show up for you? The fear of not being good enough? It can be seen in our social anxieties, in our insecurity, in our shyness. But it can also be on the other end of the spectrum. It can be seen in those who have a need to show off or seen in those who try too hard to get noticed. It's seen in those who are overly defensive or who hold back from being able to take risks or hold back from learning new things or hold back from being able to make decisions that they stop themselves from living fully and, it, and fear of not being good enough takes away the joy of the journey because we're in a constant state of worry and it prevents us from being able to reach out and connect with others because we're worried we might not be as good as them or that our efforts will be inadequate. When we experience fear, it grows and it covers up our ability to be able to experience love. The second core fear is a fear of loss, a fear that your life isn't going to be good enough, that you're missing out. So you're losing out. You're losing out on security and control, money and reputation, You're fearing that you are losing out on loved ones and respect and opportunities and validation from others. And the consequence of living in the fear of loss is that we then become too easily offended and we become emotional and reactive. I ask you, when we're experiencing these feelings and each of us have, you know how consuming these feelings can be. How can we possibly feel the love of God? When we are consumed with our thoughts and our senses and our feelings by fear. God is love. And God made you to be love. But as the scriptures teach, there is an opposition in all things. And as Kim Giles teaches, whether we call it our ego or our voice of fear or our natural man, this is found within each one of us. And it's that opposing force 
to love. And its job, if not quieted, is to feel needy and insecure. And the goal of the natural man or this voice of fear is to distract us from love. But we can conquer it. We're supposed to conquer it. Group three did conquer it. And how do you do that? With increased trust and love, you then become stronger. You then can feel safe and feel loved. And then you have the ability to be able to see others accurately. That ability increases. And then you can have compassion on them as they are acting out in love. You're able then to forgive. And then you're able to live in wisdom and compassion. When you get to know these fears, you can start saying, oh, hello, fear of not being good enough. I see how you're acting out. We're going to have to put you down for a little nap right now so that I can feel love. Or, oh, hello, fear of loss. I see how you're wanting me to act reactively. We're going to put you away and I'm going to choose trust and love. Then we are able to then become bulletproof. We then realize that we cannot be diminished by anything or anyone. Kim Giles explains that our life is like the perfect learning lesson that's designed just for you. And your learning lesson is going to look different than my learning lesson, but they are both perfect. And the amazing thing about this is our value is already set. Because your value is infinite and so is mine. It is not constantly on the line based on our choices or our outcomes or how we're measuring up in that moment. Fear wants you to believe it is. Fear wants you to feel unsafe and that your flaws and your mistakes and your less than perfect features diminish your value in a permanent way all the time. But that is not what the Savior would have us believe or our Heavenly Father. They tell us that our value is infinite. And they just ask us to come and partake of the fruit. And then to stay there with them and be nourished and healed by them. When we see life in any other way but this, we allow fear of not being able to be good enough creep in. The people in group two who who partook of the fruit, they did not feel good enough, even though they had what was precious above all things in their hand, and it was trying to nourish them. But the scoffing and mocking of the people in the great and spacious building became too distracting because their fear had not been contained. They clinged to the rod of iron. They didn't hold fast to the rod of iron with confidence and strength found in the love of God. The second group felt ashamed. They were embarrassed and felt guilty because of their actions and their characteristics and also probably their associations of who else was under that tree. They probably wanted to look cool to those who were dressed in fine apparel and who appeared to be hovering above their station in which they found themselves. And they were reluctant to do something because of fear or embarrassment and humiliation that they felt. Because they heeded the scoffing and scorn of the inhabitants of the great and spacious building. Don't be ashamed. 
to be a covenant keeper of God. Remember, we already know from Nephi's dream in chapter 11 what will happen to the great and spacious building, or in other words, the pride of the world. Remember, this building, it's without foundation, and it hovers in the air, and the world and its wisdom will fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we are going to experience that kind of scorn, but it will not prevail. It will fall, and an exceedingly great fall it will be. So don't have residence in that alluring structure. You can overcome your fears of not being good enough by remaining near the tree, the love of God. Let him heal you there. Lehi instructed and warned and counseled his family that they essentially would have two choices that they could make. Those who were swayed by the great and spacious building heeded them. They listened. They gave them attention. And those who remained at the tree heeded them not. It is that simple. Sister Scriptorians, heed not the mockings of the great and spacious building. Quiet those fears that are within you. Your fear of not being good enough. You already are. God says you are. Our Savior Jesus Christ atoned for you. He believes you are. And don't be afraid of missing out. Realize what all that God has is yours. Just partake of the fruit and stay by the tree. Have a good day.